What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Just Friends. As always, I'm your host, Mitchell Embry, and as always, I'm super excited about this week's conversation. I met today's guest through a drive through window at a Starbucks on Dixie Highway in the south end of Louisville, and I knew immediately I like talking to this guy. He sounds nice, he's interesting, and he's the type of guy who every once in a while has enough time to go inside and bullshit with the guy behind the line at Starbucks, and I like that kind of guy. So fast forward like four years, I haven't worked at Starbucks in like four years. I haven't talked to Pat in probably five. I shoot him an Instagram message. Hey man, you want to be on my podcast? He's like, sure bro. And if that doesn't tell you something about the type of guy that he is, it's amazing how cool people can be. So I'm excited for you guys to get to listen to my conversation with Pat. It's thoughtful. It's interesting. It's funny. It's everything I could have hoped for in a podcast. But first, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google, rate the show, Spotify, leave us a review. I don't know how these things work. I use Google Podcasts. That's what I use because I have Android. But if you can rate the show, please do it. Full disclosure, most of my reviews on Apple Podcasts are me or my family or me pretending to be a member of my family. But I do want to give a shout out to Bucky1624. I don't know who you are, Bucky, but you're cool. Appreciate your comment. Jacob Embry, I taught that kid. We had the same last name. Cool kid. SM Shive, that's my wife. ZZA554, I appreciate you. Fuzzy the Bear, I think that's my dad. The rest of these comments are me. If you haven't rated the show or left us a review, please do so. I want to put the good ones on the website, but I also need a picture. So Bucky, if you want to reach out to me, there's a Facebook page. Hit me up. There's also a website, JustFriendsPod.com, where you can find merch, listen to the episodes, learn a little bit more about me, and Just Friends Podcast. And most importantly of all, if you would like, if you care, if you love what we're doing, what I'm doing really, it's just me and you, obviously, you guys as well. But if you love that and you want to support the show and you want to be a part of it, consider becoming a Patreon patron, patreon.com forward slash Mitch Makes Podcasts. There are links to the page on the website, justfriendspod.com. You can become a patron for as little as $5 a month. I know it's not much now, but I've got big plans for the Patreon page. They're just future plans. So one day it's going to be worthwhile, but for now, uh, you just could say you were the one of the first. I guess Ben Risen was the very first. So shout out Ben Risen. I'm pretty sure he meant to give me five bucks, and he's been paying me five bucks ever since, like, November of last year. So thanks for the 60 bucks. You're a gangster. Let me know when you're having your next bonfire. Everybody else, prepare yourself for a fantastic conversation. It's interesting. It's thoughtful. Dare I say heartwarming. It turned out great. I couldn't be happier with it. I'm excited to share it with you. So now without further ado, let's hang out with Pat Quinney. Do just an improvisational music one where you get random people over and you just say, hit me with a lick and you got to just go. You know what I mean? I think... I'm not that good of a musician. <laughs> oh no, I, I think you're. I think you're good enough to do yeah. what I'm talking about, man. And it, it, you'd be inviting the people. Yeah, that's the thing. And you're and you're also editing the sound. Yeah, and you get good people around you, and I would get better. Yeah. See, that's one thing that I was talking to someone about actually yesterday, who I had on, who plays music, and uh, like I've played guitar for a really long time, and I feel like I'm a pretty decent guitar player. Feel free to move anything you want, I, by the I way. Like yeah, move anything Some you want. More and across. like, um, but I I feel like my where I am not great is like like actual 
um, music theory and like understanding like how to compose um, different voicings of chords and stuff like that, or even just how to like sit and hear a sound in my head and know how to translate that fluently into the sound of an instrument. Yeah, but you would learn that really quick doing the improv thing. Yeah, right? that's what I need to do then. That yeah, would be yeah. super cool. It'd just be sitting across from somebody who's hit. You know, you got an ear. I know that. Yeah. And if you see you see where they're putting that, that bass note and yeah. you just start reaching for it, you know. Yeah. You'll find it quick, I think. So how long have you, have you played music your whole life? Like, yeah, where did yeah. it start? My dad, my, my parents met singing. Really? They were, they were in gospel groups in Georgia. Gotcha. So my dad was a minister of music. That's what I thought. I, I knew that your dad was in ministry. I think we talked about that because I sort of did that for a while. It was a really interesting part of my life where, like, um, I just got this weird opportunity to play music for this little church band, and it yeah, was really cool. Really cool. Um, but you didn't grow up in Louisville, right? You grew up in Savannah? I grew up in Savannah. Moved here when I was about 12. So I kind of grew up in both. I yeah. Mean, you do a lot of growing up in your teenage years, and I did all that here, which was odd having the beginning in Savannah and then coming to Dixie Highway. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. Well, because Savannah for me is kind of a magical city. Oh, I it experienced is, yeah. it like at a time in my life where I hadn't done a lot of traveling before. It was one of the first places I went. I had a buddy that moved down there. Mm -hmm. And then... All of a sudden, there's all this like wrought iron, and then you know there's like the the little parks in each square. Oh yeah, everything's old, yeah. and then there's Spanish moss in the trees, yeah. and it, there was a like just a feel to that city that was really definitely it feels old. Yeah, it feels, it feels old, really old, and it just feels kind of magical and maybe mm -hmm. a little spooky. It is, yeah, it is. But we grew up outside of Savannah, mm -hmm. you know, in 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 the. It, Savannah's it used to be I don't know I don't know the size now but it used to be probably the third of the size of Louisville so it was a mm -hmm. small city and uh, but but really old and uh, it been around longer you know but the uh, the outskirts are rural extremely yeah. rural so we grew up in the middle of nowhere essentially um, a place called Rinkin and um, moved every four years my dad was jumping churches kind of he would go and he'd kick off a, a youth ministry and he would get that church flowing and then he would go to another and They'd be, you know, if it, there would be nothing there for the youth, and he would—that's what he did—was just start youth ministry. So uh, we we moved like military brats almost, you know, <laughs> about an hour away each time. But that's that's a world away when you're kids. So. Yeah, probably different schools and everything like yeah. that. So did you jump around a lot. Different schools, different friends every four years. So did that like create a really tight knit family community? Because you guys—that was the one constant in your life, I guess. Well, yes and no. <laughs> we I think when we moved here, we were we were frustrated. And we were, uh, so the the kids started to act crazy when we moved here. So we 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 found some friends who were who knew what crazy was, and we emulated that for for a while, you know. Gotcha. So um, that and then my parents, we we they had a tough time with that. Now they they moved back to Georgia when we were when I was twenty. Gotcha. So from then on out, it was you know just commuting to visit. So so did they come here for a church? Was that the kind of thing? That I came here for seminary. Seminary? My oh, yeah. My dad came to a... go to the Southern Baptist Theological yeah. Seminary. That's yeah. one of like, I had some friends who went there, and apparently it's like one of the most prestigious seminary schools in the world. Yeah, yeah. And that's why he came. And it was here or, I believe, Fort Worth, Texas had one at the time. And they, they, they had small, like, Bible colleges, but not, you know, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. There were only two, two main places to go. And so it was a toss-up, and I guess he chose here. Yeah. And so I guess I don't, I mean, am I free to just kind of dive into that? Sure, yeah. Because I don't, are you still a Christian? Is that something you identify as no, really? No, no, but I'm not an atheist. And yeah. I, I, don't, I, I would say I'm, 
I'm agnostic, but without much regard for it at all. Like <laughs> yeah. I, it's something that is so hard. Like honestly, I'm ingrained to believe in God in a way that I just can't. I can't really interfere with. If that makes sense. So I know that I can't really objectively think on it, and I also don't. I don't give humanity a whole lot of credit as far as you know what I mean. Our ability, to, if if God's real, if there's a creator, right? Uh, why would we be able, why would you be able to grasp your creator? That's just dumb. You wouldn't be able to, you know what I mean? A couch can't understand you, right? So I don't even, I consider, I consider our place to be a lot more the couch than the, than the creator. I think the only weird thing about us is thinking about it at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I totally I, get that. I just yeah. try to live like that. I try to just ignore it. It's not my business. I try to do what I know is right, uh -huh. you know, and be a good human being. I think that's, which really has nothing to do with being Christian, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you can be a terrible person, and and if you really, really believe, and you uh, have committed yourself, you know, you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you'll go to heaven, right? That's, yeah. That's the deal. Um, you don't have to be a good Christian to go to heaven, but uh, but you do have to be a Christian. And I, I don't, I can't say that I do feel Jesus Christ or God talking to me at this point, right? So, I had to make that distinction in my life recently, actually. Because I'd been a member of this church for a long time, but then just like over my life, I was exposed to ways of thinking that just really made the foundational beliefs that is necessary to consider yourself a Christian right. unbelievable for me. Right. But I also can definitely appreciate um, when trying to contemplate a creator, the, the, the reality that you could never actually even fathom what that, what that creator's experience would be. Right. Right. And what, and what, I try to think of practical thought. What use is it if I do? That's fair. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, what am I going to apply that in my life to mean? It doesn't, it, it, uh, I believe in being, I believe in loving people. I believe in, you know, not hurting anyone, doing the best you can to do what you want to do without it interfering with other people's what they want to do, right? Yeah. And uh, so I believe in minding your business, which is not, currently a very christian trend right <laughs> which i don't think that's fair either because the christians i know in fairness are great people yeah and they have been great people in my life i'm i'm very appreciative of the way i was raised uh you know i feel like a better human being for having been taught moral value and you know to, to, the golden rule is important you know and that was ingrained in me as well so uh i appreciate that and i've and i've seen the manifestation through God, through faith in God, that people, you know, if you, if we build a church and we say that we're both there every morning at 7 a.m. because we believe in God, mm -hmm. and we build that church, the church is real yeah. and God is real, right? And that way, God is a very real entity on this planet. I see what you're saying, yeah. See what and I mean? As far as like an influence on people's decision-making and, right. and how they choose to live their life, definitely. And, and where two or more are gathered, right? Yeah. That, that concept that if we're here, like if I say, man, I'm cooking a meal every day for the homeless, well, the homeless... Yeah, God is as real as the sandwich in the homeless. Yeah. Right? Like that's that in that way, I believe that there's a lot, there's more good in modern day. There's more good done in the name of God than bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I don't really want to abolish it or anything like that. I think atheism is, is a little bit, atheism is kind of as, as cross as, a, as an avid fundamentalist Christian. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Your point about like, uh, not seeing the, um, I guess the purpose in spending a lot of time thinking about those types of things resonates with me because I'd spend so much time right. thinking about them. Right. But I'm just like this inherently curious. I'm not really Same. seeking any kind of 
specific answer. I'm just right. kind of spe- seeking, and I, and I definitely can relate to that feeling of like, there's got to be some kind of something, and I definitely get spiritual every mm-hmm. once in a while, and mm-hmm. I can feel that. And there's something to like, to get us back to music, like singing with groups of people, oh, and like yes. vibing with people, and getting yes. in unison with them. Yep. But I guess the real thing I was just interested in is how your your upbringing in a Christian home kind of informed your personality, but then also like when that transition out of that way of thinking happened for you. Well, it happened. You know, I spent it happened rebelliously. Yeah, right? it had, I, we had the keys to the church. Right? <laughs> we we lived next door to the church. The pastor usually doesn't. He usually has a nicer house than the parsonage. Right, honestly, yeah. and and and. So the parsonage was either an annex, they end up using them for annex, right? It's kind of an obsolete structure, the parsonage. But uh, my dad lived in the parsonage. Mm-hmm. For my, uh, most of my life, I was in a parsonage. So we were next door to the church. I played, you know, I rode my big wheel in the church parking lot. Like that. The church was home, absolutely was home. Uh, even until we lived at Hillsdale until the last, that was the last place I lived with my folks. Um, it was right off East Pages there. And um mm. But they, uh, that makes it different. Like we, we, we used to play rock and we used to play punk rock music. We, like we got into punk rock and we got into like anti-political, anti-religious punk and like just question everything kind of thing. And my parents hated that. And I, th- I don't know if I don't know if we got into it because they hated it or if they hated it. And, and it just was a coincidence. But we definitely were very anti, and uh, that caused issues. But it, but but You're it was young. so that's how we came into it. I, I mean. Uh, my first, the first music I wrote was was about how God's not real. You know what I mean? Really? Like I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote some like some atheist anthem kind of music. You know really? what I mean? To to some extent, that's interesting. Which is a hashing out, like I guess of uh, of the. And it wasn't. It wasn't. It was. It was honest. It was yeah. like not just like it was about being raised that way and not believing it and how how that struggle is a pain in the ass. You know? Oh yeah, that's interesting. How old were you when you started doing that? 15, 16. Oh, that seems young to me. Yeah. That seems young to me because when I think about when I really started questioning, well, no, maybe not. Maybe not now I think about it. I, definitely the creativity part of it where mm-hmm. you're actually putting pen to paper and, and creating right. something, that feels young to me because I haven't been able to do that for a very long time. See, I started that at like 13, but I was writing songs about, like I, I started playing guitar at 11. We were already singing in church and stuff. That's but, right. That's so what I, I, I knew music, but. And my dad was a pianist. He was he was a great pianist. Man, I, uh, I miss hearing him play. But he, uh, so I was always familiar with the theory to some extent, just with uh, with the numbers, right? With what the the do re mi was. Mm-hmm. I was super familiar. Like that's inherent. Um, so when I started playing guitar, I started writing pretty much instantly. Twelve or thirteen. I, I started eleven. I was writing by twelve or thirteen. But it was there were little songs about being a loser, and that, <laughs> you know what I mean, like no girls liking me or whatever. And then. Then I started getting into the deeper idea of writing. You know, I was listening to bands that were really deep, so I was trying to write deep things, and that's what came out of me was a bunch of things about religion and about you know what a pain it was to struggle with. But yeah, it was early, I guess. That makes sense, though. It was what your experience had been up to that point. Yeah. You know, you're just expressing your experience up to that point. Yeah, I just think it's cool that you're exposed to that early on and then i also know that you play music with your brother a lot yeah so what yeah. was that like coming up playing music with him well that was that was uh, a lucky break i'd say uh we, you know i had a, had a i was i got a drum set for christmas okay and i played it for a year or so but i got it 
the year we moved here, the year before we moved here, so Christmas, and then we moved here. And then I traded a guy um, who actually played in a band called Incursion. I traded him. A good, he happened to be in the neighborhood. I didn't know Incursion or anything. I don't even think they were a band yet, but he had a guitar, and I had the drum set. I wanted a guitar, so I traded him. Well, then my brother bought a drum set, and so he was the drummer, I was the guitarist, and we just played a bunch of punk rock, you know. We had friends come and go. Um, had friends come and go throughout the years playing with us, but it was always me and Matt always playing together. So The first band, I think the band that you were in when I met you was Thomas Madison. Yeah. Yeah. How like So did that was that something that happened when you were older or what was like the first bands that you were in the first band the first band name we had was the lost oddly the enough lost. like that that tells you again that like when we were rebelling or whatever mm-hmm. um trying to claim that you know claim that rhetoric or whatever uh of being lost um but that was that we did like two albums worth of music with that group and never recorded them mm-hmm. because recording was not a thing then. Like we didn't know. But was that like the early nineties? Late nineties. Late nineties. Late nineties. Yeah. I was probably from the time I was seventeen till the time I was twenty one. So nineteen ninety seven to two thousand six to two thousand something. Like that. Gotcha. Um, but that was, and I it probably actually probably went up through two thousand five or something until until we became Thomas Medicine. We just changed the name. Really, really, we were it was always shifting members. Yeah, uh, one at a time or whatever. Bassists would quit, and a bit bassists have always been hard to come <laughs> by. Man, if I, if I see a good bass player, I'm like, God bless you, man. You know, there just aren't enough of them. Uh, you know, every bass player is a guitar player that wasn't yeah. as good as the other guitar player yeah. or something. You know, like that's what you end up with, or just the, or just the more willing to be like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll take the bass, mm-hmm. which is silly because bass is a, a lot of fun. Yeah. I find when I play bass, I'm a better bass player than I am a guitar player. Really? really? Oh, man. Wait, because my hands aren't super fast. And so it comes to shredding and stuff. I hit a wall pretty fast, you know. And um, I can do tasteful things slowly on the guitar. But that I can do that on piano. I can do that on, you know, if I if you give me enough time with an instrument, I'll do it on anything. That's just that's just knowing what you want to hear. Yeah. Um, but I don't have a lot of technique. and. It, Bass requires less, so I, I think I, I think I can just. It's bigger. You can swing yeah. at it a little more. It's percussive. Yeah, you can groove. Yeah, yeah, that's what's cool about bass is you can groove. Exactly, and that's like I feel that's the part of music that everybody kind of feels. Oh yeah, especially just you know like the, just the bass line thump thump thump. Right, it's really powerful and it's unifying. Everybody except the bass players, I I managed to find. <laughs> <laughs> they can't. They can't seem to. <laughs> That's terrible, but it's not always been the case. But I, I have played with a lot of bass players who just weren't bass players. But yeah. anyway, we had shifting members, but Thomas Medicine uh, was the name that we ended up playing out with the most, and and we did two. We actually recorded two albums with that group. Mm-hmm. And did you write most of that music, or did you collaborate with somebody? My brother and I mo- wrote wrote most of it. Now, if, it, if there were, we played it in practice, and if somebody came up with a lick you know then that would that would end up sticking too so the first album was done recorded by everybody in the band uh live in the studio mm-hmm. um then the second album was done at home on like a korg d1200 um with matt and i just just doing we were really just writing the songs on it but we ended up keeping all of those writing tracks because you know when you write a song you you feel something and you if you capture it right then, you get the best it's going to be. Yeah. Right? It, unfortunately, it wasn't great. They weren't great captures. 
Um, so then we took it to the studio. We had a guy who's amazing, uh, Dead Bird Studios, uh, Dave Chale is his name. And he is, he is an amazing engineer. And he um, took that uh, garbage and, 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 and cleaned <laughs> it up quite a bit. And it, and it sounded pretty good. But it really, the tones, the guitar tones on it weren't picked for keepers or anything. It was just mm-hmm. pure. But it was, but it was really pure. I'm really proud of the writing in the, in the, you know, the instant performance of it. Uh, but I don't even do that anymore. Now I just improv everything, man. Really? I, I just started. We got so bored doing covers. You know, that's all we were doing. And we, I do it four or five days a week, right? And play. I've played. I play Wagon Wheel three million times. <laughs> I play. You know, like yeah. I am that dude. I'm the human jukebox, and I never wanted to be that dude. I mean, I, up until I was. 22 or 23 i was anti and never play a cover never play a cover. And if i play a cover you will not know the band like that's you know yeah i will play playing you a cover you ask you ask which one of us wrote it you know but um i got so bored playing wagon wheel the you know seven hundred thousandth time <laughs> that i was just like i'm gonna just play it differently i'm just gonna play everything differently and for a while we were a three-piece and we had a bass player uh me and matt and uh, or Matt and I, is it? No, it'd be me and Matt, wouldn't it? I don't know. I don't know. I'm still <laughs> confused about the application of those two things. Um, but we would, uh, we went, we had started playing, I started playing electric guitar and, and distorting it a little bit and getting bluesier with things and then just improv every single song. Just whatever we played, I was not going to play it the same way twice. And uh, that was a game changer. I mean, I'd never done anything like it before. I was really, I'm, I'm still not great at it. But you just get what you get. I mean, yeah. It's a, but I get better at it. I mean, I've got a looper, and I, I use the heck out That's of that really thing. That's really cool. It's a, it, that makes it a lot of fun. Uh, now it's just Matt and I. So. Yeah. When I think about, so the, w- one of the first things I remember about you was you came into Starbucks. It was probably later in the day because I remember there not being a lot of people around, and you were chatting just with some people behind the behind the <laughs> line, and you were asking us about songwriting, and you were looking for a very specific word that you wanted to use that meant. A piano wire that one per, a person had used to strangle. Is it called a garrow? A garret. A garret. Garret wire. Yeah. And so, I, so like na- garrot though. It's like garrot. Garrot. So I think some people pronounce it garrot or something like that. That's what I was looking for. I think. Yeah. And you're so interested in, and it made me think like, why is he so passionate about that specific word? And it started to make me think about the construction of a song and like the, the process that goes into creating something like that. And I've only just recently started writing. So I'm fascinated by the creative process. And I'm just curious how that process works for you. Has it changed since yes. you were 13 or 14 years old? Oh man, it's changed so much. Uh, and like I said, it's changed to a point now where I need other writers to do it. I don't, unless it's a, unless it's an absolute love song. Like the last, the last 10 songs I've written have been, just like odes directly to my girlfriend. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that's, if it's like, I don't care if anybody ever hears them but her, right? Uh, those are just like feelings that I want to say. And, and that's easy to do. I'll write that in two hours. You know, And, and there's some of the best songs I've ever written, for sure, uh, because they are, they're not contrived, right? But I get, in, I get so into words, you know, the syllables and placement and like just the rhythmic value of a word and... Which is strange because when you do that and you apply it to speech, just kind of subconsciously, you know, you, you, uh, like the economy of words, like, yeah, just that, that, and not even, not even necessarily being efficient. Okay. 
Although, yeah, yes, getting like directly to a point like that and being able to do what we're doing right now, mm-hmm. right? Like being deep in some level where we're, you know, the, all this nuance has right. dug this place where we are having this conversation. You know, if somebody comes in right now, they'd be lost. Right. Um, and that's kind of, we've it's because we dug the hole, right? And and I love the language to do that. You know, I love having the language to do that. I love being able to get on that level with people, you know? And bond with people on a on a, de- on a in a depth that that I don't think you can do otherwise. It's really neat. Um, I love seeing people who are like polylingual that you know have they if they're this good at this language and others. That's mm. really fascinating to me because culturally we're so different. If you you know you're not, I mean we're different. It, you, there are things you don't know, and and if you, you'll never know if you don't speak that language, right? Right. So it's I think that's neat to be. Um, I'm I'm envious of polylingual people. Uh, I hear it's easier to learn the second, or easier to learn the third than the second, and so on and so forth. But I've never learned a second. I mean, I feel like you do though. I mean, you speak music. Music is a language. If I think about it, it is, and it's like a Jedi language. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's I still. But the thing is, like, it's almost like I speak it in my sleep, right? I can't. I couldn't just speak it into. I couldn't manipulate with it, if that makes sense, because I don't have total control of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I've seen it where it, it. I try to explain it to my daughter. She's she's musical, of course. You know, and she, uh, I've pushed it uh, her whole life, so I've made her sing with me since she was little. I, she took vocal lessons, and she it was just the cutest thing. She she had <laughs> she had. You know she's got great ears, so she she could sing immediately. So this little six year old like standing there nervously, stepping on her, you know, bouncing on her on her feet, but singing beautiful melodies and like uh, uh, what's it uh, someday you'll find a rainbow connection. She oh did yeah, it. oh she kills that song. Well, she doesn't do it now. She wouldn't do it for all the teen child. But she, <laughs> but she uh, when she was seven or eight and taking lessons, man, yeah. I've, got, I've got video of it. It's uh, I've seen videos of you guys practicing harmony. Yeah, yeah. Which is something that I struggle with a lot. Honestly. Everybody does. That's why I hit her with it so early because being able to stay in your lane uh, while someone else is singing, you know, and dragging you toward, especially a lead. If you're, if you're doing harmony, then you're taking that secondary role. You're, you obviously, you heard the song, you heard the lead. Yeah. And so it's really natural for even grown ups who've been singing forever to want to be pulled to that lead. And um, I think putting a kid through that early is important you know developmental phase music is important and um i explain that to her now because she gets you know she i guess she's developed by now she's she's 13 but she and so she's now she doesn't want to do it as often unless she unless she likes the song but i'm like man i don't care i don't don't care if you do this or not like that's the only place i'm a dad like a you know i'm super i'm super loose but when it comes to that i'm like no no no. i don't care if you like it or not you're gonna sing this harmony with me because you'll get on stage you're gonna sing because you're going to be comfortable with it, you know. I don't. If you get older and you don't want to do it, fine. But you're not going to want to do it and be scared to. That's never going to happen. So, I guess so. When you so when you're writing songs, are you thinking about a narrative at all? Is there like a story that you're trying to tell, or is it more of like feelings you're trying to express? It used to be a lot more narrative based. When you're in a band, I think you're commissioned to write. You feel like you're either drawing an audience or have some audience. That you're 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 picturing them here in the song, like in the song. You might be writing, you know, you you you've got a a favorite person that comes all the time, that you know, a good friend that you know likes this type of thing. So you're going to try to put one in there for them, right? Uh, some kind of call and respond or something, you know, uh, a sing along situation or whatever. Uh, 
So I think there's a lot of reasons to write. You could be writing for any number of people or for one person. Or, but like I said, me personally, I got when I. It goes back to the concept of the uh, feeling like you have feeling the value of your own opinion, right? And realizing that I don't have a message. I don't know anything, right? Like I, I figured out that I don't know anything. I, I'm not gonna, you know, I could, I can sit and talk to you. I might learn something. So I love doing that. But as far as a one-way conversation, I just don't have a message that I feel passionate about giving humanity. If it, it would be like, mind your business and think. Like, that's <laughs> it. Stay, go, go home. Bye. Yeah. That, you know, I've got five word message. So, um, I don't know. I, that changed my writing a lot. I, where I, I used to feel like I was driven by something. I don't know. Probably the, the devil, right? No, <laughs> I don't know. I was driven by something to, I guess, prove my point about that. Uh, mm -hmm. But that was really to my parents almost, right? It was like a rebellious thing to get it out there and be out there. And for them to know, it was like, I mean, coming out as atheist in my house is like coming out. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's not, it was not, I thought it would be very bad, but, and it was in ways, but it was also, it also established, I mean, my parents, like, like cigarettes, I smoke cigarettes. My parents knew that from the time I was 16 because it was just, we, we, it was tough, but that was the deal. We just, we had our reckoning so early on. I see grown men hiding their cigarettes from their mom. You know what I'm like? Man, I feel for you. Like my my mom and I are on a level that you'll probably never get to be. You know, like it's it, that's sad to me that you're you're still being that kid to your mom. Mm -hmm. Where my mom, we had that breaking down of those barriers, those structures. You know, but it was war that broke it down, right? But, yeah. But once it's down, you, I mean, you still love each other. You know. Right. And so I think that we are closer for that, and she has been a bigger actual part of my my adult life. You know, a bigger bigger help and bigger. Um, security system in my adult life than she ever was as a kid because we were, we were fighting all the time. Yeah, I actually can relate to that a lot. When I was younger, I just I butted heads with my parents a ton, especially my dad, um, just because of uh, decisions that he was making that I've talked about on here before that I just didn't agree with. But then once I got some space from them and I had my own space, right. and then when I was around them, it was by choice. Mm -hmm. And so I was going in with the right intentions. Yes. Um, and then, I mean, I'm 31 now. So at this point, I've reached a place where my parents don't even really presume to tell me what to do, Yeah, which is awesome. And yeah. we have a good relationship. And I think of them kind of like friends now. That it takes a while. Yeah, it, it did. And it takes distance. Like you said, it takes yeah. getting some space. I think that every kid has to do that. And every parent has to relent. Uh -huh. And that's not easy. Now, as a parent, I know, like, I, there are things, you know, I'm, I'm, for all practical purposes, an anarchist. I don't care what you do at all. You know, I don't, that nothing bothers me. It just doesn't. It doesn't. And that's that. It's easy for me not to judge. Like nothing bothers me about humanity. I like humans. I like, you know, even the, even the annoying, like down on their luck, you know, bum at the gas station. I just see them and I think, man, how'd you get there? How, you know, like I don't feel any sort of, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't really get I'm dangerously comfortable with people, right? <laughs> like I get, I'll take, I, I, one time at Christmas, a guy in the store uh, was trying to buy a beer and they were not selling it all day. And I was like, man, that is terrible. It's Christmas. You've got to have a drink, right? <laughs> so I literally took this dude home to my, I had a wife and kids at the time. Now, as you, you don't take a random drunk home, but yeah. I thought I can, if I have to, I can take this guy. And I don't think I'm going to have to. He, I got a good vibe. 
So I took him over to my house and I gave him some, I had some wine. <laughs> we drank wine and uh, talked and whatever. And it, it was a neat experience. I, he didn't kill my family or anything. So it <laughs> worked out, but, but it's dangerous to do that. And, and I'm notorious. My dad used to do that stuff. He'd go and, now he had a message though. He was going to get around to talking about God with him. I don't do that, but I just still. Well, you showed him kindness. That's a message in itself. Kind of. That's what that. I think yeah. that's my message, right? It's just like being chill and being and people trusting people, even though you will have experiences where you know better. Yeah. Right? Do you think that message comes from Christianity and your background there? That's something that I can relate to too. Even though I'm definitely not a Christian, mm-hmm. um, a lot of my values are informed by. It was like. I felt privileged enough that I got to participate in this community. I saw all the value that was there. Mm-hmm. I got to take it on. Mm-hmm. Anything that didn't really fit or didn't work, I now feel like I'm privileged enough to leave it behind. Some people get stuck. Some people choose to stay there. Right. And that's where they want to be. Right. And that's cool with me too. And that's the thing. You're going to have doubt. And I think that it is. It's a matter. It's a, it's a very personal matter. Oh, absolutely. You made a great point actually that I was curious about. Do you think that comfort that you talked about with people comes from, I imagine it kind of comes from music and getting exposed to all kinds of different people through that process. Yeah. So like, did you guys, did you guys gig a lot? Did you play around places? Was it mostly local or how did that work? As the, as the original band, we played regionally. Yeah. And, um, and it's pretty much the same with the covers, different bars, obviously, but, but, but it's a, it's a circuit of regional, you know, I've gone from, Tennessee to to the top of Indiana like that's just that region um you meet a ton of people in just that oh region. Yeah. yeah oh yeah well that's it I mean you meet a ton of people just in Louisville I bet. you know I mean if you just play if you play weddings right and you're willing to play the VFW post wedding mm-hmm. or the loft right you're gonna play every type of people you're gonna play yeah. you know and, and I personally I'm more inclined to poor people i like i like poor people they dance they have fun they, they're and, and i now i don't mean to, to to class out you can't do that but because i've met some really great on both sides uh, yeah, for sure. on all walks but but i am a classist i mean <laughs> like i like poor people I, i'm poor i like poor people well so, you came up in the south end of louisville and there's a connotation towards the south end about kind of poor people that's it and i and i'm telling you i have the best times in the world in the south end. yeah i mean i have the bad we we party we have a great time. I know you play at BJ's. I got a bunch of friends who have spent a ton of time at BJ's. Oh, yeah, man. BJ's is a great spot. Man. I, I've enjoyed playing BJ's. I haven't played there in a long time now, and I don't know the state of it currently. I know that it's hard to, yeah. it's hard to keep anywhere uh, open or you know, right now, but it's it's hard to keep, place, keep places like that cool. Uh, yeah. So I don't know what's going on there mm-hmm. right now, but but I know that I've had some great times there. And, uh, and, and just at private parties. I mean, people's backyards around here. Yeah. Uh, we've played a, a derby party every year. Our buddy Claggett has that is, uh, I mean, it'll be everybody. It'll, it'll be hundreds of people deep. There's never any trouble. There's, no, I mean, knock on wood. And there's never, never. Everybody's any trouble. having a good time. It's a great time, man. And tips are always great in the South End. I mean, it, you just weird, it's weird the things you see. Well, like, a lot of people working and living in the gig economy, and they understand yeah. that's how you make a living. Yeah, and they and they have cash in their pocket as opposed yeah. to you know. Young young folks with a good job and a card yeah. is different than old folks with a, you know, with a retirement and cash in their pocket. So, I found that South End uh, takes good care of you. So, I talked to my friend uh, Kelsey, and she kind of is a gigging musician. 
Um, she plays in like a an Irish band called Krogan's Crossings, and she plays in this all girl band called Southern Sirens. That's cool. Lots of alliteration. Yeah. In her band names. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and she was talking about just like how COVID hit them, and specifically when it hit for them, they were they play a ton of the Irish bars mm-hmm. during like uh, St. Patty's. Yeah. And then that was all dead. That was right then. Yeah. yeah. So what was that like for you? I mean, I bet that was a. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, we went from. Uh, I remember we we had four four booked in a row that the day that I found out that it was closing, the next four days were work, and it went from that to zero. Now, all of them were closed, and we didn't play again for weeks. And I was like, and then we did one, we did one the entire shutdown that was a closed situation. They they uh, it's like a gas station. They used an old gas station that the dude opened up. It's his office. But he restored it because the place was so cool. So it's like this restored gas station. Really awesome place. Um, I cannot remember the name of it. But me and Matt just went in there and played. It was just us and, and the dude and his and his uh, wife or girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And they just podcasted it. And dude, that's awesome. It was fun. It was a cool experience. Um, he paid us full prices if we were playing his show. Oh, you know? wow. And then they... Uh, they shared our paypal and venmo and i mean it was a good night for Heck that yeah. but and, and people were really cool during that time I, you know i would go live um semi-regularly on facebook and yeah just play whatever and then it got you realize like people would rather you play something you've never played or just try something you never tried even though you're going to screw up right like i mean i'm i would stop mid-song oh, oh hang on and i'd never do that on stage but it was a loose environment it was like hanging out here playing right like and just you saying try this? Okay, mm-hmm. okay, try this. So I think people enjoyed being able to. It's like an OnlyFans, but for music. Yeah. Right? <laughs> hey, that sounds like an awesome idea. That would be, dude. If you really had a name, and you did that, and you were like, "I'm gonna play what you asked me to play." Right? Yeah. Like I'm gonna play a, whatever weird cover you can think of. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine getting your favorite artist to play your other favorite artist's song. That'd, mm-hmm. be, that'd be a blast. Like you're sitting there singing along? Yeah. Man, that would be super cool. Just putting cool. them on the spot with something yeah. or trying to stump somebody that you know is incredibly good or what, you know? Right. But I also think it's the process of like watching them figure it out. Because, exactly. you know, for me, when I start playing music, as soon as you start playing or as soon as you start learning about something, you start learning all the things you don't know. So I can sit and watch a person play guitar and be absolutely astounded exactly. by the, what they're doing. Same. But then you might have another person who maybe doesn't play an instrument at all. And what their experience might as well be magic. Like yeah. they have no context for how what they're seeing created in front of them is being created. Right. And that's Which fascinating. I, sometimes that means they treat it like it's magic. And sometimes yeah. that means they really don't know. You know what I mean? Like I've had people come up and say, you can play this song. You know the song. And I'm like, I've just played 700 songs. <laughs> You know, like, and I, I understand why you think I could, but also you have no concept of what this is. I take it from my, you know, I've told them six times I can't play that song. Mm-hmm. It's because I can't play it. I don't, you know, there are times that you just, if I'm not familiar enough with it, I can't reach into my memory and pull it out. And so it's, uh, people don't understand really. It, sometimes they have no appreciation for how hard it is. And sometimes they just think it's harder than it is really, you know, mm-hmm. um, it just takes time. That's yeah. really, that's nobody has the patience. Right, that's what it is. Just sit down and keep playing. Yeah, and you'll get better and better and better. And even when I play, I was talking about this yesterday. I don't play meaningfully. I play the same shit I've been playing for like the past like three weeks. You're not Cause, pushing, right? Because it's the only time I've picked up my guitar, you know, in like the past four days, 
and I'm I'm seeking an emotional experience mostly. Sure. sure. Like I just want to feel good and I want to sing. If you're getting it, then you're getting yeah. it. Yeah. But I'm not like trying to learn something new or actively pushing myself to like challenge, uh, like learn new positions or learn new scales or like practice and and push myself to to reach new goals. So I don't get better. See, honestly, I've been I've been more that way than not. Really? I mean, I, when the cover doing the cover thing, we do learn songs, especially the weddings and stuff. You have to, you know, you learn you learn the dance or you learn, you know. But we've learned we learned most of the songs over when we were when we were younger. We first started doing it. You know, I've been doing that like fifteen years. So the first five years, I learned most of the songs I know. And then beyond that. We would just wing requests. If you if you've heard a song, you've heard "Carry On Wayward Son" all your life, right? So if you know the guitar well enough, you can find it. Yeah, you, you know you will. And once find you find it. the key, you can pretty much figure out the chord progression yeah, based off of what sound you want to make. Exactly, you're jumping from the interval, right? Like you you know that you're going, uh, you know. And when I listen to a song anymore, just having learned so many, you get to where if somebody does like a pull off banner, I know that's either going to be a a G. Pulling off to an open E, or it's going to be a, it's going to be an A, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a C to an A. So you start to hear the mechanisms on the guitar and actually know kind of where they are in the key. I don't have perfect pitch at all. I have definitely relative pitch. Mm-hmm. But if you hit me with anything and call it the one, I can immediately tell you where the others are. Mm-hmm. And that's a bonus, really, because that that kind of pivoting. I, you know, I can, I can, if you're, if you play a song in C and we play it for a week and I, that's where I think it is. And we go to the show and the person says, Oh, I was actually sing it in D. I'll jump it. No problem. Right. You know, I transposing is easy for me. Right. Uh, where some folks have a hard time because they, their pitch is more stable. Mm-hmm. They expect it to be in C. They're like, I need that. I need that to be in C. You know, I don't have any, uh, no ties to any key. But, I hear you. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. But that means you have to practice your intervals. You know, you have right. to really, you, you have to know them. Uh, oh. That's and not I, a big deal. I don't. Uh, it just goes back to absorbing it, dude. Just sitting there absorbing. You know? Yeah. But like I said, if you're getting what you you want out of it, then you're getting it. Well, do you know? Are you familiar with Malcolm Gladwell? He's like a public intellectual. No. He wrote this book called Outliers, and I like his podcast. Um, it's called Revisionist History. It's okay. really good. Okay. And Outliers is basically about like how do you get these people like Michael Jordan? How do you get these people? who are just the best at what they do. And he says that in order to become an expert at something, you need 10,000 hours, which comes out to be something like five years or 40 hours a week. Meaningful practice, like what you're just talking about there, where like you're being honest with yourself about how you suck, mm-hmm. working to not suck at that, mm-hmm. seeing places where like uh, something that would be challenging for you and going after it and working on it until you get better. Mm-hmm. He's got to do that for 10,000 hours to become a pro. Now, some people agree with that and some people don't, but I just think that process of trying to get better is really interesting because I swear, I swear I didn't even notice it as a pattern in people's behavior until I was like 23, 24, 25. Huh. I really didn't get it. Yeah, the whole practice make perfect thing didn't make any sense to me because I didn't know what it even meant. See, I was to lucky. Practice pro- proficiently, I was lucky, I guess, to have music because it was a natural. Like I wanted it so bad, you know. I wanted it. Was started out with simpler songs, um, but the more I, the more I digested, the more I needed, you know, the more complex complexity I needed to to feel full, and so I just got into different and weirder music uh most of what i listen to is like snarky puppy and like you know the kind of concentrated fusion stuff that 
is they're they're applying seven things to you know in, seven things per song right like I, I like to hear I like to just travel with it and I, so it, to me it doesn't have to have lyrics at all it doesn't have to have, you know just I can just be in the music and enjoying mm-hmm. enjoying what's happening it's like classical music and stuff like that yeah uh, more kind of classical structures long winded structures and stuff right but. To me, it's about just like listening is as fun as playing in a lot of ways. It's just digesting it and dissecting it and trying to comprehend everything that's going on. And then when you when you learn to hear it, then you go and learn to do it. You know, I think that's kind of the next level. There's mm-hmm. no point in doing it if you can't hear it. If I go and I learn every scale and I learn their names and I'm, I can say no, that's Phrygian. That's you know. But if you if you play it and I can't say it, it's pointless. Right, where if you if you play it and I don't know the name Phrygian, but I can just pick up my guitar and play it, same thing, right? Do you know people who can't hear it? Oh yeah, really? Yeah, because I've given lessons. You okay, know? and honestly, like most of the lessons you give, it's hard to be, it's hard to give lessons and not be like, okay, here's my lesson: you are not musical. <laughs> Goodbye. You know, like you don't stand a chance. I'm going to give you half this first lesson back, and then do not call me again ever. It's, but it does a lot of times. Not a lot of times. Um, rarely you'll come across somebody who you just don't think can do it, hmm. no matter what you do. Uh, most of the time, you'll come across somebody that you know won't do it. But it, that's the thing about lessons too. One of the, my first lesson is always involves the conversation where it's like the lesson will be an hour a week. Uh, if we're lucky, um, that will you will not get good ever <laughs> at that at that rate. Yeah. So what I'm what I'm giving you is an hour's worth of work to do on yourself for thirty hours, right? Like right. you you find the time to squeeze that in on your own and do what I tell you to do that week, and you will get better, right? Uh, if you just do it while I'm there, you won't even remember that next time, and then the next thing is gonna it's just gonna back up on you very quickly so it's there's you know the first lesson honestly if somebody's never touched a guitar you can give them one lesson and then go away for a year yeah and if they're doing what they're supposed to do it'll take them a year to really just get acquainted Mm -hmm. with those changing chords and like get their fingers to move the way they want them to and stuff yeah you're not going to move from a g to a to a c fast enough to play anything for a year right like it just takes time so i think that's that's what's magic about it is that players for whatever reason are self-commissioned early on to do it when they're sitting alone in their house. They're just like, I got to play the guitar. Mm-hmm. I can't sit here. Whatever it is, you know, I don't have anything better to do, so I'll pick this up. But but it, it's going to happen forever, I think. As long as their guitar is in the corners of living rooms, right, then then kids will get bored. <laughs> pick it, which the social media is the thing I hate about it, dude. It, yeah. it pacifies the board, and that is ruining things. And I think that boredom should not be pacified with mm-hmm. anything but the arts right right, right. We'll creative create something uh, but i mean i'm super guilty of it too so i waste so much time on social media me too dude and i'm glad to be i'm 39 i'm glad to have lived most of my life without it because i developed I, i'm sure i would not be the person i am without you know, if i had facebook and instagram and yeah you want to spend so much time learning an instrument and writing music right so how old is your daughter 13. 13. So I don't know if you know this about me, but I was a high school teacher for four years. I thought so, yeah. And so I taught, I didn't ever teach freshmen. She would be a freshman, wouldn't she? This year she's in eighth grade. She's in eighth grade. Okay. So she'll be a freshman next year. Then mm-hmm. I have no clue. But she's late. Her. She's late. She's, oh, really? So yeah, she's, she's old? She was, yeah, she was like three days past the mark. Gotcha. That's actually usually 
pretty good for like kids. They do better in school when they're that's a little why bit I left older. Her there. Yeah. Because her mom, her mom initially was like, "That's nonsense. I bet we can do something with that." And she is like mature. I mean, yeah. she 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 definitely would do just fine in in, in high school. Yeah. Um, but. She, and she's, but she's been in the advanced the whole time. She's been ahead. She, oh, she came in reading better than, you know, uh, better than most of the second graders. And she yeah. stayed that far ahead, you know. Uh, so I thought, let her stay that as far ahead. Let her be, you know, let her be a little more mature than everybody in the class. That's good, yeah. you know. So, and it has worked out well. So if you lived in the South End, where'd you end up going to high school? I dropped out. Oh, really? Early on, I went to Jefferson County High School. Yeah, like the uh, annex over. What off, is it called? It was next to Iroquois. Yeah, it's same thing pretty much now. Yeah, and um, we didn't go very often. Yeah, by that time it was, you know, my, like I said, my parents. There were there was a battle constantly uh, going on in the house, and you just can't control kids. That's what like my parenting style comes from being that kid that knows. Like my parents were awesome parents, very aware as home as they could be they were either at work or at home every minute i mean they didn't step out for karaoke nothing my parents were not people they were just parents right <laughs> yeah it's a different time i guess but that's just what they did they you know my dad was a preacher and a parent my mom was a nurse and a parent and uh we still managed i mean i used to break tr- break little twigs off a tree to wrap around my cigarette and smoke it so that my fingers wouldn't smell you know what i'm saying like you can't stop a kid from being what doing whatever they want to do and we wanted to do bad things <laughs> um, so that was, I don't know why that is either, but that was just, if it was bad, I wanted to know it. So I tried every bad thing. I mean, yeah, it, well, ru- it ruined my education. I mean, for sure. I, I dropped out and I didn't get my GED until I was 32. So, yeah. But as I sit here talking to you, it's not definitely not a testament of like how well your brain works. I spend I a lot that. of time in, in public school and there are some kids that show up every single day and they really, really struggle to even think. Yeah. To think well. And they definitely don't challenge themselves to get better at anything. Right. And I definitely can relate to the young man who's sitting in school and like, this does not mean anything yeah, to this me at all. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing that I can get from this place. Yeah. See, I didn't, I, I think that, that the unfortunate thing is that high school does have some things that I'd like to know that I don't know. I know that now, right? Like, um, like the, you do take a second language. Uh, you may not learn it fluently but but you do you do learn some of the mechanics of language that there it, it's strange right now over the years you know I, I do i have a lot of a lot of deep conversations with a lot of friends and uh it's surprising to me what they know from high school like even just somebody that's not a thinker that's not an intellectual type or that's not um it's just common knowledge really um that i don't know so there are certain things that uh you know i'm, I'm articulate and i think and I think that's that's helped me a lot. And and Georgia public schools was really really solid. So I think in the first in the first uh, first through fifth, I, I I learned a lot. And then pretty much messed around sixth through eighth. I mean, here once we came here, it was trouble. It was just my yeah. friends and I figuring out how to not do the work and how you know. So I failed seventh. They put me in a in a like a hybrid seventh eighth thing called Excel at Conway that was meant to make up a year. So you basically, the first half of the year was spent on your seventh grade, like catching up all the stuff you didn't do last year. And then the next second half, they were going to condense an eighth grade and call it, call it done. And, um, I got, I got expelled after a certain period from there, uh, for, for, a for a personal issue. It was like a, you know, it was a, a fight and some of that, but it wasn't, 
it was all kind of like social things taking over the yeah that was they, back when like it was like no you like one strike rules and all that bullshit too well the t- i ended up throwing a chair i think at the at the principal because he at the assistant, <laughs> at the assistant principal he was he was actually a cool guy i mean but he just didn't like me, understandably, and 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 I did. He, he I was getting in trouble for for hitting a kid, and I did hit the kid, and I was lying, saying I didn't hit him, and I was acting like indignant. How dare you accuse me? But I did it. I mean, so I was just a bad kid at that point, and I, I'm not a. I wasn't a bad kid. That's what's weird. And so knowing that, I've watched my kid become self aware. Uh, you know, like just become a, become a woman overnight, and have to deal with that. And all of a sudden, it's like just every kid at the same time does that. It's like they all woke up and looked around. They looked in the mirror first and said, oh, my gosh, how good is it? And then they looked around, and everybody is staring at each other like, what's going on? You know, like it's a very <laughs> tense thing, middle school, man. I, oh, yeah. And now seeing that change from fifth grade. Fifth grade, she's happy-go-lucky. She's a beautiful princess. Everything is perfect. I'm going to be on Broadway. You know, like she's, she, the world is her oyster. Sixth grade, she's like wakes up. And sees what real life is, or something. It's it's so odd the the reckoning that occurs. I mean, she's just overnight like, I hate this. I don't even like people. I don't want to go to school ever again. And you know, um, I think trying to judge somebody during that time is just not fair, right? Yeah. So I, as a parent, I I'm not much of one, right? Like as a parent, I just I love my kid more than anything. But she's I'm pretty much her just your best friend. Yeah. With a car, I'm her best friend with a car. <laughs> you know, I, I got your back on whatever, but. Uh, to a fault, you know, but, but it's, I don't tell her to do anything. I don't tell her not to do anything. I'd say, what are you doing? And I just try to talk her through whatever's going on, you know? Yeah. Help her make her own decisions. Yeah. Well, that adversity is also, I mean, I think that's part of growing up is struggling with how you feel and how you relate to other people. But I think, I don't know, personally, I think you're giving public school too much credit. Because I spent a few times there, man, and, like, I spent four years there, and there are kids who are sitting in front of you who are so talented, but they just never show up because there's nothing there for them. And see, that's terrible. It sucks. That's terrible. But there are also kids, like I'm saying, who are literally there every day, and they're, like, they're wa- they're leaving that place with nothing just because they're a-, a vessel with a leak or something yeah. like that. I don't yeah. know. It's hard to really describe what it's like. That is it, though. That is it, and I, I, I don't. I'm not even. I don't. I don't even pretend to have an idea on how to plug those leaks, right? On how to, how to like that. My opinion is that half of us are doomed to a life of mediocrity, right? Like more than half. I mean, but those of us who, who that's a problem for, right? Those yeah. of us who struggle with that, I think that this is yeah. Public school is not the place to salvage. Yeah, you know all of that, and to make the best of what's there, I don't think that's it. Um, yeah, you, what that's Henry David Thoreau, right? Most men lives most men live lives of quiet desperation. Yeah, and see, that's why that's what I that's what I won't do, man. Yeah. That's what I won't do. I I I figured out, you know, I, I was always a, a bold, I guess, uh, you know, and outspoken, and and I had have had a different experience from doing that. You know, I remember, I remember I, I like after being expelled from Conway, I went to Stewart. I got, uh, I, one day I picked up all the lunch trays and, uh, for at my table, trying to be nice to my friends and you know, being silly. I had them stacked like this high 
went up to the thing and the lady told me that I couldn't do that. She told me to take them back, make everybody bring them up. While well, I turned around, everybody was, look, they were gone. I said, well, everybody's gone. I, I won't do it again. But everybody's gone. She was like, no, nope, take them back. You get them back. And I just smacked them, threw them over, right? Well, then I, as soon as I do that, I'm like, it's a reflex. I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. I leave, I leave school. I just go take off walking. Um, by the time I get to Melton's right there on 3rd Street, I'm like, I messed up. Ah, I can't believe I did that. But it was an impulse. And like the lady was being, she was being a bitch, right? She was like, trying to force you to comply yeah. in a reason she didn't need to do that to you. That happens a lot in public was, school, too. Yeah, she was, she was too big for a bridge. She was power tripping a little bit. Yeah. And, and that's all true. But I was 13. I was in the wrong. I was definitely in the wrong for throwing them. I didn't, you know, I just, but at 13, you don't know how to handle things. And I was feeling punked on and I just, you know, exploded. And like I said, I knew it was a mistake. I called my mom from the Meltons and was like, I messed up. I'm probably going to be in trouble. And uh, so I already knew that I'd messed up, you know, and, and in fairness, my mom was cool about that. She, she, she appreciated that I called, I guess, or, you know, um, I don't remember getting in trouble for that one, but I, but things like that, uh, Public school forces you to comply. And that's, yeah, it's more important. It ends up being more important than yeah. the education. Than and thinking for yourself. Yes. You're 100% yes. right. But. Doing what you're told becomes more important than thinking for yourself. Yes. That's yes, a huge yes. problem. That is a problem. That is a problem. But that's because there are so many children. You can't. There's not enough adults. And that's, you got to teach from home. I mean, you got to. Yeah, it's got to come from the top. It yes, really does. Absolutely. And you see that so much. I went to Stewart, by the yeah. way. That's where, that's my stopping grounds. So I kind of want to talk to you now a little bit about something that, and I don't mean to drastically change the subject, but I've no, been thinking about it for a long time. Like you play a lot of bars, like you, you're a gigging musician. Yeah. So to me, that seems so awesome. And to hear you say like, I'm the dude who plays 700 covers. I never wanted to be that guy. I'm like, dude, that's exactly the guy I want to be. Well, I want to know a million songs. That, that, that was what I was saying that I forgot just now. The, the being, the realizing that I, you know, I was married. Didn't didn't work out, probably because I'm just not much of a husband. That's what I mean. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but it's I mean, there's a lot of factors. But 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 quickly that you live in a bar is not well. that's not conducive. Uh, my wife was she had she had her first child at 20, so she never really got to experience the bar like a normal 20 something. She had two children when I met her. So um, I remember that actually. Yeah. yeah, you were really involved in their lives. I remember. Yeah, that. absolutely. I mean, it, you know, I'm, I'm a committer, man, and that's a, you know, and, and I was I was married and, and and with three kids, one of one of which was was mine biologically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still I still I'm still involved, but um, we've been divorced for six years or so, and and, and it was for the best, I think. And uh, but when that happened, I realized like I am not a husband. I'm not a great. I, I'm I'm not. Like I'm, I'm a great father in that I love my child uh, insanely, and I am involved. I mean, I, I see her all. The, you know, she's she's half mine. I see her half the time. Uh, she's still with me half the time. But, um, and I, I could. St- her mom and I are cool. I could stop over there right now. Just you know, if I had something I wanted to give her, I'd stop over there, and knock on the door. Her, her, her stepdad and I are cool. Uh, everything's chill. That's how I am anyway. I'm, I'm laid back. So, um, that's all. I'm, I'm lucky that that she's laid back and that we get along so well. But. Um, I just realized that I'm that I'm really only really good at one thing, you know, and it's a special thing. Most people aren't that good at it, right? So you got to do what you're good at. So I just committed to making music, 
I'm not gonna anything else I do. I'm going to half-ass, right? I know that yeah. at, at best. I'm gonna I'm gonna look myself in the mirror and I'm gonna say do better, and then I'm not because yeah. my heart's not in it. Right. Know, I'm gonna be late. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna call in. I'm gonna you know I'm just not going to take it seriously unless it's music. I just realized that, and it's some of that is copping out. You know, some of that is just being tired. But it really is being tired of looking at yourself and. Being like you failure, do better. Mm -hmm. You know, kicking yourself in the ass. Being and, true to who you are, though, I think is exactly. a big part of it too. Well, as soon as I did, I realized that's the only way. You know, like even if it's a weird thing, even if it seems irresponsible, even if you look like a crazy person, um, and even if you live a life that is less, even if you have less amenities than some folks, right? Like you have to find who you are and just be absolutely true to it, right? And uh, you will be happy. And you know, I don't know. Maybe you're wearing a tinfoil hat, and you're and you're in your bum and change. Who knows what you're doing? But if you're happy, you're happy. I'm not going to knock it. Yeah. And so I, for me, that is making music on any level. That could be teaching a kid. That could be, um, as long as I know that my musical knowledge is being applied or my musical inclination is being applied, um, then I feel like I'm in my purpose. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Man, that's awesome. That sounds a lot like what my friend Kelsey was telling me also. And so I hate to take it in this direction, but it's it's what I'm curious about, oh, yeah. honestly. Because yeah, I know having that purpose and doing that thing you love, there's definitely got to be some magic there. But I imagine there's also some bullshit that you got to deal with. Absolutely. So like playing lots of bars, to, in my mind, sounds like a blast. You would love it all the time. But I see you making this face like, yeah, it's okay. Well, you get tired of drinking. I mean, yeah. you know, it starts out, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, you know, I, I did it all through my 20s, and that was fun because, you you know. Um, but I always, had a, I always had a girlfriend or a wife, right? Like, I always had a serious relationship, which makes it less fun because it just involves you in things that mm -hmm. you shouldn't be involved in. And, it, it, you know, it involves you, it, you're drinking and being comfortable, and people are drinking and being too comfortable, that's bad. Are the people mostly cool, or or is is it a mixed bag? It's a mixed bag. I'd say mostly cool. I That's definitely, good. I've always felt that way about humanity, and I said that this hasn't changed it. I mean, you know, you get you get the real with you know, it's true about drunken honesty, right? Like, um, but I think the people are inherently good. They they at least intend to be, you know. Um, but there are some obnoxious people for sure, man. You know what I mean? Drunks, oh. Drunk girls. Oh, that, one of my favorite sayings, uh, there's two types of people I hate. Uh, sober people when I'm drunk and drunk people when I'm sober. <laughs> <laughs> so that's... Uh, that makes sense. You got any fun stories? I bet uh, you got a million fun stories, don't you? Yeah. I, most of them are fuzzy, though. That's what, that's the problem. A little bit browned of, out. Yeah, yeah most, of the fun, <laughs> most of the fun stories are, uh, are hard to recall. Um... One of the most fun experiences I ever had, um, uh, Thomas Medicine used to play with a band called Look What I Did a lot. Um, they're a band from Nashville. Uh, Mathy math kind of metal, um, but melodic at times. Okay. Really, really neat music. Um, and their their singer is a is a really intelligent guy. It, uh, the stuff is it's all kind of tongue in cheek, but there's a lot of depth in in, in the lyrics and stuff. I really love the band, but. Um, it was interesting to be able to play with bands that you actually like. Like this band, this is a band I would listen to. I would go see, you know. In fact, I went and saw them before we ever played with them, and they 
blew me away. I mean, their singer is so engaging. He's he's like old school that way. He gets down in people's faces and you know, like he's singing straight straight at you. And mm-hmm. So it it uh, it's a lot of fun. But they asked me to sing on an album. I just do this little feature part, it's like a rock opera they did. And uh, so there were several features on it, but I went down there and did the release in Nashville. And um, I was uh, just starting to date the girl that I'm with now. Um, and man, it was, a, it was just a, an interesting night. I uh, played the show. We were, very, we were having a lot of fun. We were very, <laughs> very partied. And, um, and then I remember we, we just decided to get a, get a room at this Hotel Preston, which I didn't, it was just the nearest place to where we were. We didn't know where we were in the city, you know. Uh, and the rest of the, all, all my Nashville people were gone, so it was just me, she and I, and, and pure luck, and we made it to, made it to the hotel, and uh, woke up the next day like, where the hell are we? You know, like, <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun, man. It was it, taking on another city that way. I've, I've done Louisville that way a million times. I mean, I could do, you could probably drop me and wake me in the middle of the city anywhere, and I'd be like, I'm on the corner of this and this, and I, you know, I'd, I'd know it in no time. Uh, I've slept in every alley in Louisville, right? Like, but, uh, but being in another city is fun. Trying to trying to do that when you don't have a clue, you don't know any street names, you don't know anything. A little bit frightening. Nobody to call. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it would be, but you. But I am Superman with a few drinks. So. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, you scale tall buildings. Frighten me. <laughs> frighten, I'm not, I can't be frightened. That's a, that's a, I'm dangerously that way. Like I'm like, let's go, let's do it. You know, I don't know if that's safe, Pat. Oh, trust me. You'll be fine. Don't trust me. It'll don't, be fine. <laughs> don't trust me. Yeah, so that's, uh, I have a number of those stories, but but most of them involve irresponsible, even illegal behavior at times. So <laughs> that's, a, that's how, I think that's all the best stories. They are. That's one thing that sucks about this podcast is like, because I'm not financially independent, I can't include all the best right, stories. Right. I'll tell you some of the best stories. You can tell me some of the best stories after we hop off here if you want to. So I guess, you know, like my next question is like, what are you doing now? I know you play with like a million different people because mm-hmm. I follow you on Facebook. I watch the stuff that you were doing live. I, I, I keep track of your shows. I wrote down a bunch of names. At, fir- at first I was like, I'm going to try to write down all the names of all the people that he's playing with currently. Yeah. And then my list got too long, so I had to stop. <laughs> but I mean... Obviously, COVID kind of put a damper on things, but like, what's going on now? What all do you do? Currently, the only um, I play with Stacy King. Yeah, um, that's like country music. Yeah, she does. Um, she does some pop too. She's really? Stacy's got a great voice, man. She can do. She can do. I mean, she she's as good as any of them that she's doing. Really, she's she's nailing them. Um, she does Pink, and she does you know. Mm. Um, but she does a lot of the country stuff, Miranda Lambert and all that stuff, yeah. and uh, Casey Musgraves, whatever, uh, and the classic stuff. She likes a lot of classic stuff. And then um, her, my brother, and I do the Quinny Brothers. Um, I play with my buddy Foley and Frank a lot. Yeah. Uh, we just go live in the living room a lot of times and do weird stuff. But M- Mike, right? Yeah, Mike Foley. I've seen you guys. He plays Cajon, right? Is yeah. That, uh, yeah. Uh, well, no. Wait, or does Matt play? Matt, 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 Matt plays, plays Cajon. Cajon. Okay, okay, okay. Foley, Foley just—he's—he's he's got some percussion around him, but he's—he's he's really a singer. Really? Um, he does—he does a lot of reggae singing, blues, oh, blues and reggae, gotcha. man. And he's—he's he's got a great voice. Uh, but he and I play out some. Um, right now that is about it. I play with um, Allison Bray. Allison Bray. Allison Bray. Um, I play with her occasionally. What kind of music is that? 
Country. Country she music. Does, she does country. You did a lot of that. You did a lot of country music stuff. That's what was. That's what's popular for whatever reason. Yeah, people reason, really like that. Yeah, see, I did not like country. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a country guy. Uh, yeah, because Thomas Medicine was like, it was kind of mathy. I don't know how to describe it's like Tom. Pro- I, progressive post-punk or post, something okay. i think that po- post-punk is what we grew up on mm-hmm. so it was it was like our attempted post-punk but there's a lot more in it than that i guess a lot more there's like gospel influence and things that yeah. shouldn't be there right um so it doesn't really fit the post-punk vibe but it's i think structurally that's what it is that's why it's per- progressive like that kind of mathy uh it's trying to real technical five and seven and yeah like mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of beat change and stuff like that um which I have a hard time writing a four four. I have a hard time like right. I just I grew up on such weird stuff that for me it's it's hard to round the whole beat out. Like I just feel like uh, I'm waiting, you know, mm-hmm. waiting for the four. So uh, sevens are fun for me. I like sevens. They they feel right. Um, but it's yeah. I, I did not like country. So it, uh, I had to find things like I like Stapleton. He's got he's got a voice that I think is undeniable. Yeah. You know, and he and he writes a good song, a good precise song. He does what I can't do, right? Like he writes a good four four beat song. Yeah. Um I like Jason Isbell because oh, he I really like his yeah, stuff. Yeah, his his stuff hits you lyrically in just such a depth. And he's he sells it. He's he definitely singing this from his heart, you know. Uh, Sturgill Simpson, I thought really I like was, Sturgill he was a lot. reinventing the idea, you know, like And then now you got Tyler Childers coming yeah, up behind him who's he does really some good. Really cool stuff, yeah. Um What's your favorite kind of music to play? Because I think when I think about you, I think about you playing all kinds of stuff. I remember we had a conversation one time where you were talking about how you like to play blues because you could improv and you can just kind of find your groove and then just play around in it. That is kind of, that's what I'm playing no matter what I'm playing. Yeah. Is what I've found. You know, like that's what I know. So it's, and I, and not even the blues, like, yeah, you know, I, I was telling my brother the other day, we, we play a couple of blues songs and I don't, I don't have but one ending. For the blues though, <laughs> and the blues that's that's a spot where they they they're very classy musically. The end will be like they'll hit some super expressive variation on a chord, you know, and and end on that note, and it just really it settles it settles the song. Mm-hmm. And I hate that I only know one, I, you know, but I, <laughs> it goes back to that practice, you know, like I don't I always forget when I'm playing to to look it up. I'm just having too much fun playing uh, to do anything like that. But I but I. I I want more blues endings, so I'm not really a blues player, but I play the blues scale pretty a lot. much. Yeah, that's, I live by it. That's what I know, and so everything else becomes an exception of that. Gotcha. Like I think of the country as like country is like the happy blues scale. That's all I know about it, and I, I just get by on knowing that that's going to be it's going to be dun 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 dun, dun, dun instead mm-hmm. of instead of dun 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 dun. Right? You're not going to do like the staunch minor pentatonic. You're going to do. Uh, you're gonna put the major in. You're gonna s- right. s- slide up, slide up to the major. Um, but that alone gets me by in country. Like yeah, that, you know what I mean. This is just that. Just knowing to hit that major note makes it more southern or something. Do you feel like a different style of play, like blues? You can be more dirty and and you can be less uh, buttoned up. But when you're playing country, especially like bluegrass, you really got to be tight. That's I can't play bluegrass. Really? Of that. Yeah, I'm, I am too sketchy for that. Like, really? I, yeah, I just don't have. That's my hands aren't. You know, I just don't have the meticulous nature to, yeah. to, to pull that off. And I mean, if I do anything meticulous, it's going to be slow. It's going to be like, a you know, I got to take my time with it. I can build that way, but playing live and that's any kind of music. Like you said, what's my favorite kind of music to play out? I like to play music live. I just live music is its own thing. I think if you put, you know, when you when you're standing there, it really the genre is just melts because really it's about what knowledge you have. It's not the genre, it's the scale. It's not the genre is something for listeners, right? 
Like, listeners hear the genre. But once you're, you're holding an acoustic guitar, if you don't know what you're supposed to be playing, that could be a Warwick, you know, that could be a, a, a hair metal guitar, or that could be a grandpa's guitar. So you don't know what the hell you're playing. You don't know what you're playing. And so it's, I think the genre just disappears, and you're like, um, what am I supposed to be doing here? You know, like, yeah. it's so I, I like a challenge, and it's all challenging to me. And live, you know, it feels like you're on a, you're on a treadmill and you know you're gonna if you if you stop to turn around you're gonna bust your face right <laughs> so i like that feeling and i like i like doing that with players who are good enough to be like i got you man you know mm. like kind of hold you up a little bit while you figure it while you get your footing and um and vice versa in, in scenarios and um i think that that communication between players kind of telepathic thing happening my brother and i man one of my favorite the, the other favorite time i ever played was actually at a Texas Roadhouse bike night. And it was Dude, I used to go to those all the time. The one on Dixie Highway. Yeah. yeah. And it yeah. was this was uh this was right after I mean it seems a strange place place to have a deep moment. But like this was, we had just come back. In fact that day we had driven back from Georgia. My we had buried my dad that week. Oh man. And it was so yeah, I was in that space. Like I was in a weird, weird headspace. And you know, purpose of life and, and manifestation of God. Like I had just seen my dad's uh, the, I mean, my dad was a was a preacher for a long time. He every wedding he ever did was free, every funeral free, every hospital visit. That was just part of his job, and so he did not charge for those ceremonies. Um, and he married a lot of people, and he buried a lot of people, and so there were families lined up. I mean, there was just a parade of half of Southern Georgia, you know, there to to you know give my mom condolences, I guess, and just uh, send him off and. It was a neat experience to see the culmination of his work and see his people work, you know, lined up um, and and realize that it was purposeful, you know, like it, it, he did have an effect. Uh, so I was in that weird, that weird space and wondering what mine was and uh, playing that Texas Roadhouse bike night with Matt, man. We were playing a Mumford and Sons song and uh, he sings real hard. It's real driving harmony, man. And I mean, I'm getting teary now, like getting choked up about it. It's, it was intense, man. But I looked at him and like, we were like having this telepathic moment, you know, like uh, a really deep moment between two brothers that like you couldn't have spoken to, you know, you couldn't have put into words for, for anything. And, uh, but it was, it was beautiful, man. I just knew that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. You know, it was awesome. That's awesome. When I was in college, I, I had this really interesting teacher um, and I can't remember his name. I'm a huge jerk, but it, it was an intro to philosophy class and I didn't take it seriously at all. Um, but he was trying this new way of teaching and, and actually I'm really familiar with it now cause it was how they wanted us to teach in high school. It's called project based learning. So the first day he asked us like, what are you interested in? And I was like, I'm interested in music at the time. I was like 1920. I'd been playing guitar for like three or four years. And he's like, what about music are you interested in? And I'm like, the creation of music and, and just like how people get good at it. Um, and he was like, how can you apply that to philosophy? And I started to think about it. And then basically my entire semester was trying to make connections between emotion, what emotion is, how it's created, and how music has this ability to convey emotion. It's mm -hmm. almost kind of like a, a language of emotion. It is. And so I was at church i still go to the same church i'm still really plugged into this community even though i don't necessarily hold the same beliefs as them my mom and dad go there my friends and uh i've been really honest with them about what i think so i feel really comfortable in this space and they were playing this song that i'm really familiar with and just like the main message was 
love each other, love yourself, forgive yourself, mm-hmm. let yourself grow. Um, don't hold on to baggage that's only going to make you worse. Let go of those things and move forward. And, dude, I just cried right there in the middle. Oh, like yeah. standing next to my oh, dad. Yeah. My, he was confused. He didn't know what the hell I was experiencing in that moment. I was pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but that's not why, you know, that's not, that's not why that happened. No, it, I was just paying attention to my emotions more than I otherwise yeah, would have been. Yeah, feeling it. Yeah, yeah I was feeling it. You know, I, th- I think that, that s- smoke is the opposite of drink. I mean, <laughs> yeah. when you want to, when you want to stop being so self-conscious, you go to the bar, you get a drink and you can do anything, right? I do a, like that's that most of my drinking came from nervousness, honestly. Like mm-hmm. I, I my, my tolerance was built on my nerves because I'd, had to play. I'd already booked the show. I'm here to play the show. I'm nervous. It's awkward. I'm going to take three shots. I'm not going to play as well, but I'm going to enjoy it a lot more because I'm not going to freak out, right? Right. So uh, early on, I was drinking just to cope, right? Uh, which is, uh, generally speaking, why do you want to drink? Why do you want to be dumber? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I almost never drink now because I just don't. It doesn't. It just inhibits. It, like, it inhibits my abilities. Um while making me less inhibited. That's not really good these days because I'm, in, I'm uninhibited enough now. Gotcha. I'm, not, I'm not nervous on stage anymore. I don't need to drink. Uh, but smoking, I think, makes you hyper-conscious, makes you think of everything, notice everything, which can be detrimental at times, of course. It, you don't want to be you know, driving down the road and paying too much attention to every single thing. It can be a little overwhelming. Um, but if you're in an Uber, who cares? Or if yeah. you're, you know, like it's a, and I think that uh, being able to walk outside and feel a breeze and, you know, really see how green the tree is or really see, you know, like, Dude. you can't beat that, man. It's, right. It brings, it, it's it's childhood. You know, it gives you back that sense of it's wonder. All. Yeah. It's all, it's yeah. wonder. And you need that. And that's not just, that's in other things too. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. you want to know what else it's in? And my wife is really turning on me this. It's in just life. Oh, yes. Also. Yeah, This these things should be, Initi- these things should be instigating and initiating perspective. Yeah, they're not the they're not the thing. They're the just soul, yeah. they're just helping you see it. Yeah. It's there. It is always there. You know, like uh, like these glasses are old. But I remember when I didn't have my glasses for a long time. I, I again living the way I like my my adolescence was in and out of the house, like you know running away and stuff. And this was at a time when I guess my parents could have called the law, but they didn't want to do that. So they would deal with the fact that I was gone for a couple of days or a few days or. And uh, they knew they, if they heard I was safe, they'd be all right with it, you know. And um, we were just struggling. They, I'm sure they probably enjoyed the break. I mean, my God, it was, <laughs> I was a handful. I, might, I lost my dad a job at a church, you know, like just being too much. So, and it wasn't the job for him. I mean, in fairness, my dad was that cool. He was like, man, God doesn't want me here, does he? So, um, but yeah, I was a handful. So I'm sure a week a week off is okay. So there were times when I wasn't necessarily. You know, I was I was very autonomous for a teenager, right? And I didn't have glasses when I was supposed to for a long time. And you don't think you need them, really, when you don't have them. Uh, but then when you get them and you put them on, you can count the leaves on the tree. And it's beautiful. It's like insane. It's like you just took a hit of LSD, right? Like you're like, whoa. Colors are, lines yeah, colors are sharper. Are, things are patterns are there. You. Yes, and you're just blown away. I mean, you, it is beautiful. It can take your breath away. And... But it's always there. That was there, whether you saw it or not, right? I think that, that is that we can do that for you. Things, things, or even, or even LSD or mushrooms or something can do that yeah. for you. They just, they really just remind you to pay attention to things that are always there. And if you're, if I think that's part of the problem with life. It's moving so quickly, and we mm-hmm. all, we all feel some stressful need to progress when we're really not going anywhere. Yeah, 
I think that's sort of a weird part of human nature. It is. My wife gets that feeling from hiking. She loves to go on big, long hikes. And so when she was like in her early teens and like early 20s, she got to go to like Europe and South America and nice. stuff like that and hike. But she'll say to me sometimes, she'll be like, I just, I get that from going for a walk. Like I have that same experience that you're looking for from going for a walk. And, and she's like, you would too, if you just pay more attention. She's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It's paying, paying attention is hard. And that's something that we talk about on the podcast pretty regularly is like mindfulness and like being aware of like being just being present. Absolutely. That's that's something I think that I, that is my gift. Really? Is that I am generally I'm I am present. Yeah. All the time. And I am enjoying every moment, which it's a gift and, and it's a curse. When you're like that, you need to be less like that. You have to learn, you know what I mean? You have to think about being you have to be mindful of tomorrow's presence. Gotcha. And I don't do that. I live as if like if I don't die today, I'm going to have to figure tomorrow out. That's every day of my life. I don't, I have no future plan. I have no retirement. None of that. I've never even considered it not for five minutes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I just, I refuse. It's like I, because that is what you're trying to do is distract me mm -hmm. from the present, right? Like I, I feel like the entire system, not just the system, but, but natural, I mean, the entire order of the universe is a distraction. You know what I mean? Like it can, it can be pulling you away from that present moment. And I, but, but definitely societally too, right? Like we have all, all of these things that we call progress that aren't and all these things that we think are important that aren't and um, distracting you from things that are naturally inalienable. You know, you don't have to work for them. They're there. It's, this is your gift of life, you know? And um, I'm really good at paying attention to those, which means that like the house could be burning and I'll be like, you feel the warmth of this fire. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, give me a marshmallow. And people freak out. If I'm going the wrong way down the street, if I wreck a car, if I, you know, I'm just like, ah, leave it. Mm -hmm. And I just walk away like it didn't happen, you know, and I'll just, I'll get another one. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I live like that. I, like I said, I don't, I, I jump. I, like, your couch could be home. I don't care. I got live in a backpack. What are we doing? You know what I mean? I think I was made to tour or made to, you know, made to just, so I just live like a, like a, a, a leaf, you know, blowing in the wind. But I, it is that, that, that ultra present feeling. If I, if I step out of that present moment, it's terrifying. Yeah. Like life is terrifying. I understand that. You know, actually I don't relate to it, but I can understand it. And I see the, the value in it and, and how it could bring joy. Uh, well, it can bring joy, but it, like I said, the longer you do it, the more terrifying anything but it becomes, yeah. right? Yeah. So I recommend being more prudent. I would never say live that way, but I just, I've done it so long. I don't know any other way. That's who I am. Yeah. You know? So I try to see the gift in it, try to see the use of it. And as far as I can tell, that involves other people. That's where music comes in, right? Yeah. Like being able to, people to vicariously enjoy that. Uh and be inspired by it. You know, they're living a normal life, but they're inspired by you doing this thing that, right. you know, man, I wish I could do that. Well, keep wishing that you could do it. Like that's, that's an important, that wish is fuel for something mm -hmm. big that you're going to do. Right. But don't do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not, it's not the same as the wish. Right. Yeah. I wonder, you kind of described something earlier about how you real calm and you kind of like maintain a, a level plane. Is that like stoicism you're going for there, or is it more like nihilism? Where do you think it comes from? Like, is it 
just wanting to try to always be placid. Everything takes place underneath, but nothing happens on the outside. Or is it more of just like a everything's pointless, so fuck it? It's definitely the latter. It didn't because it didn't used to be that way, and I don't I don't see myself definitely not stoicism. Yeah. Like I, I I'm not stoic. I'm very I'm animated. I'm expressive. Gotcha. I'm very passionate. You know, like I, um, and I'm a roller coaster. I'm not passionately one way. I'll be one way, and you know, I'll be I'll be passionately every way. But I'm never uptight, and I'm never like scared. I, in my twenties, I was. In my twenties, I was. I mean, hypochondriac. Like you know, Google. When Google, when when Ask Jeeves became a thing, right? And you could find out things about diseases. I was just. It was over for me. I just every. I had every one of them that I read. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a symptom for everything, and it, not just that, but but the you know, uh, the everybody's out to get us. Everything you know, lock your door type vibe. Just seemed like the news media was getting to me and. I just felt like I bought into so many things like that subconsciously. I wasn't actively, you know, speaking on them. I just, they were hitting me in a really hard way and uh, made me feel like the world was caving in. And then when you turn the TV off and you turn all of that out and you tune it out, then there's nothing but a breeze. There's nothing but like, you know, you just feel like you're all of a sudden being nestled in the hand of God in the town of Mayberry. And, yeah. you know, like, the world is not that bad. I just remember turning it all off and being like, "This is pretty chill, really." Yeah. And 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 then with when things fell apart, you know that that I thought would be that I thought would be obligations for my whole lifetime. I, I assumed I was under obligation, and then and I hate that. You know, I don't want to romanticize it and, and make it sound like a victim of anything. I thought I was obligated, and then I wasn't. I just had a lot of free time, and I was like, <laughs> I don't know what to do with myself, right? Yeah. Um. And it was, it, in ways, it was heartbreaking. It was disappointing, but it was also just like bored and free and, you know, un, uh, unexpectedly not nobody cares what, am I, what I'm doing. So I found a lot of free time. I think that I, I didn't care either. I just realized like I, if I die right now, somebody in Ethiopia wouldn't care at all. And somebody died while we were having this conversation that I yeah. didn't know. I didn't care. They, yeah. You know, like the, some eulogy was given during this podcast that, was intensely, you know, it was life-changing to everybody there and meant absolutely nothing to us. Yeah. So I try to live my life understanding that I am that. I'm life-changing to somebody. I mean, absolutely nothing to somebody else. And I, and I try to see what my best move is. Gotcha. Objectively. Is That's it, really cool. You know. And also, like what I heard you say earlier is you just look, t- took ownership of your thoughts. You're like, I'm letting all this other stuff like populate my mind and I'd rather think about these other things yes. that are going to bring me a more a valuable experience or experience that I would prefer to have. See, I think fear creates that fear is, is, is an intruder. It's coming in without permission yeah, and it's bringing all of that with it. And when you lose the fear, you have the choice. Then you say, what do I want to do? Now, you know, every, if you ask somebody what they, if you ask a kid what they want to do, they're going to say something crazy, right? Some out, some big and some awesome and something that might kill them. <laughs> right. Now, if you ask a grown up, if they're still, if they're still cool enough, they're still open enough. They'll say something like that too, only it will be something they're scared to do. Yeah. And that's why they didn't do it. But if you're not scared, you do it. You know, like you just do what you want to do. And I think that's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I, that I, my, my fear, my fear factory broke. All right. Like <laughs> yeah. I just got it. I just was able to do whatever I wanted to do. And I, I still live that way. I don't, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't mean there are regrets, but, it, but, 
if you're present enough, you really don't spend a lot of time on that. You know what I mean, I don't, I don't have time for that really. So I just stick with, with present day. What do I got? What do I want to do? What are my options and which one of them sounds fun? I hear you. There's one last thing I kind of want to talk about, and it's it's something that is kind of intrinsic. And when I think about you, I think about this. I think about your daughter because I followed you on social media forever, and I see her and everything that you do. And um, I I just heard hearing you talk about being a father. It's definitely defines who you are as a person. Oh yeah. Um, my wife and I have we've chosen not to have kids, and at least for now, for sure. But there's definitely something about it. I see my my friends having kids. I see um, just the value and the purpose that comes from that. And then the project, like you're making a little person. That is, that is the neat thing. Um, I think for me it was, I did not want a kid. Yeah. I, I knew that I was not financially stable enough. I was not, if I knew I wasn't emotionally stable enough to be like a father in the way that I, you know, that I would expect from myself. And, and I'm, a, and I disappoint myself plenty, you know, part of part of being a parent, I think is failure. You are not going to spare that child. Yeah. I think it's part of being a person. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. But like being a parent, you know, you, it's weird. You stakes are higher. Like the kid is you. Yeah. And you see it and you're like, I have the opportunity. Like it's, it's what's well, like being dangled in front of you. The opportunity, like you could, which you know you can't. You have to realize, like, I, there's no way to spare this person all the pain of life. Like, so there's going to be pain and pleasure, and you know, I want her to experience life, but that means I have to let her experience life, and that's hard. And so, early on, I think I was too protective, which made her a little bit scared. So she didn't, she, she wouldn't go underwater until she was, you know, she could swim perfectly fine, but she wouldn't go underwater until she was probably nine. And uh, what what it took, dude, I I. I begged her and bet her and, you know, swore uh, the best meal, uh, you know, uh, whatever, whatever I could do. Nothing. Then one friend said, oh, she should do this. It's cool. Boom. She did it. I was like, you're kidding me, dude. Yeah. So peer pressure is everything. Let yeah. your, let your child have peers, right? They, they will do it. So that's it. You let them have peers, even peers they shouldn't have. You let them, you let, you let them, you know, like I don't protect my child from life. I really don't. Um, and that way I'm a weird parent, but I, but I, but I saw early on when I had, you know, I, I did not want to have the child. I just didn't. I'm dead honest, but I know it's not my choice, too. And her mom was already a mom, so that was going to happen. And I'm like, well, if you look at me and you say you want to have this kid, then okay, more power to you. I will definitely do my best, but, I, you know, it's what it is. So we had the baby and but as soon as you have the baby and it looks like you and it, <laughs> you know, and then you and then you talk eventually you're talking to the baby and the baby answers you know, you, you, you expect, I think you expect the baby to answer kind of like you, but what you don't expect is the baby thought like you, but then thought one further than you thought. Yeah. It's like a new, it's you plus. Yeah. So she's answering questions that you have. And all of a sudden, you know, like you forgot you didn't answer and you, things that you thought about as a child, she, she has perfected. And it, so it's, it's a weird, like super spiritual sense of purpose, like fulfillment of purpose vibe where you're like, man, you know, not only it's exciting on a, on a superficial level where it's like, this is a pet that I can train to do everything <laughs> I do. Like, you know what I mean? Like, check out my bird, plays guitar. Like that's, you know what I mean? It's like, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Right. <laughs> but that's amazing. Uh, it's neat. It's neat. And it's neat to see them be like you and be, you know, be better than you at what you're good at and things like that. Yeah. Um, I do. I, I, it, it consumed me. I mean, it consumed me. And I did, for her first, since I, I really was never a nine to five guy, 
um, I had a lot of free time. And, you know, I was playing music uh, and and raising her. And so most of the time we'd be sitting there reading a book. Or we'd, and so she went in to school in a, at, a, at a third grade level. And she, it, other parents are paying for these things. I didn't have the money to pay for them, but my kid was home with me. I just had the time to teach her, you know. And uh, there's nothing. If you teach your kid everything you know, even if you're kind of dumb, you, if your kid knows everything you know by the time they're five, they're pretty freaking smart, yeah. right? So you, it's not that hard. Parenting's not that hard. I, <laughs> people are overwhelmed by it, and I don't think it's that hard. Um, you know, you made a point that's really interesting to me, um, just as a teacher, and then just like, so I, I read a lot about the process of trying to mold, you know, effectively mold human beings. And one of the main things I took away from it is one, they have to fail constantly. Mm-hmm. If they're not failing constantly, then they're not learning. Exactly. And then another thing that I took away from this guy's writing, whom I really like, his name's Jonathan Haidt. He wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. And basically what he was investigating was like kind of this spring of social justice culture and universities and like needing safe places and being... And the violence of words. And he was like, where did these kids come from that are so, that are lacking so much resilience that like words hurt them and stuff like that. Right. And he was basically saying it came from not having enough freedom and not experiencing enough adversity when they were younger, not having life kick them in the teeth often enough that they don't grow to be tough. Exactly. So he has like a six year old, they live in New York city and he's like, she's got a little watch. If she were to get abducted, which God forbid that happened, but she'd just press a button on that watch it lets everybody know where she's at. It alerts the police. And, and then she's got like three other buttons. She can call me or mom. And she walks down to the bodega on the corner. And, you know, like in a little couple of years, we're going to let her ride the the subway. Yeah. Like, yeah, she'll and, know what she's doing. She'll know what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And so, like, w- one of the things I think about is what you say, you know, you want to give your child, you want to protect them and shield them from life and we all know life is hard and it kicks you in the teeth and it makes you want to cry. And it's yeah. sad. A big part of it is that, but that makes you who you are. Yeah. If and, you don't allow your child that yeah. you're, you're not protecting them. Right. You're not giving them the protection because you will not, I mean, God forbid you outlive your child. So yeah. you're not going to be there to be that protection. Yeah. I think that's the mis, that's the misgiving. We all want to, we all want to give them the protection. So we are the protection. Well, you're making them soft. Yeah. And I, I started out with the same, mistake right like i started out protecting and sheltering i think that when her mom mom and i split i couldn't do that right Uh, i only had her half the time and then it was then i realized i only had her half the time and i was out of control so honestly so i wasn't protecting her because i was a mess so then i was exposing her in some ways to things that um that i didn't mean to or that i named to but in doing so and, and also it was just about realizing that she was a very capable person this is a human being she is me she is a, she is my equal at least like she's she's honestly you know she i'm obsolete like this kid is smarter and she is Pat 2.0 she's wise yeah she knows things and she's watched me and known what she doesn't like about it right so in that way she has that observation and she um i just realized i respected her i respected her intellect you know i respected her her individuality and i realized she has to live a different life than I lived, you know, because I lived uh, up to her age. Now I was in rural Georgia under under a you know in a nuclear household with a submissive mom and a preacher dad. That's a whole different sort of hierarchy than she's experienced. She's experienced an anarchist dad who's out of his mind and a, and a mother separated, you know, and like so. She, I can't even 
relate to that experience and really know how much she knows. And so I have to respect it. I have to open my mind to seeing her, seeing who she is, you know, and, and, and really communicating on a real level and staying, staying, not just being like, I know who that is, my child. You know, I think it's hard to accept that you're, you're a growing person and I'm not solely responsible for your growth. I have to respect the growth, right. And be a part of it. Um, but that's also liberating because you know I couldn't I couldn't fail you I couldn't make or break it. This is you are you are you're on your own. You you know life is hard. <laughs> you know you got to make it. Yeah. You know and I think my kid knows that. I think she knows that ultimately you're responsible. You know she she get trouble at school and she'd say that teacher and I'd say it doesn't matter. I, you're probably right. I had a teacher that was a bitch when I was a kid. I you know and I, I remember seventh grade. I, I I had she was she was terrible. She was she hated me and she knew that I that I was that I didn't like her and it was hard. But ultimately, if I go home in trouble, that's on me. That's on, you know, that's, I have to find a way. And so if you've got a boss that sucks, you still got to go to work. You know, if you've got, you know, if you don't like that, be your own boss. Well, that's a struggle. It takes time. But that's, you know, I think letting your kid be, goes back to being poor. Being poor means your kid has to know life is hard. You know what I mean? I think sometimes when you're privileged, you, you're able to afford uh, an unrealistic entitlement for your yeah. child right <laughs> man and also some of the most interesting people i know there's this guy he's one of the most interesting people i've ever known he's a rod buster which is what my dad used to do and what is that it's like uh you know the the concrete buildings they have steel reinforcement yeah, the, bars in the middle of them mm -hmm. they would place those reinforcement bars and like tie them up so that concrete can be poured in them yeah those concrete. iron workers right? yeah they, iron worker basically those people yeah. are tough yeah, yeah. And also, like, I know him, his coming up and, like, his relationship with his dad. He's told me stories about it, like, lots of trauma. But at the same time, one of the best storytellers mm -hmm. and funniest mm -hmm. all-around people because his perspective is so fucked up yeah, and yeah. constantly surprising. Yeah, yeah. It just, he's such an interesting person, but it also, it came from... The adversity. So it's an interesting, it's just interesting. It's a for fortune fire. That's yeah. A, you know, the, the strongest <laughs> instruments are fortune fire, man. That's yeah. A, that is the way life is. I think parenting, it's hard to do that, but luckily I'm not that good at it. So my kid gets all the exposure. She, <laughs> <laughs> she gets all the exposure. No, she's a, she is a smart kid, man. It's a, I, so you got, I respect your decision. I understand it completely. Same time. Yeah. It's uh it's the coolest thing I've ever done. Yeah. I mean, she's the coolest thing I've ever done for sure. She is, man. And she continues to be. She she really continues to surprise me. And and ultimately, I'm gonna be, you know, an authoritative musician, too tired to play, <laughs> right? And time somebody's gonna have to wipe my ass and that's gonna be that kid, right? Like so ultimately she's my retirement plan too. So that's that makes it. sense, you yeah. know, she somebody's gotta take care of me and she's gonna love me enough. That's what I figured. Nice. So, so think about having kids. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should, honestly. Yeah. Actually, I think my, I definitely think my wife's going to outlive me. She's like. See, you've got that, but. I, but for her, I should probably think about her. Who's well, going to take care well, of her I don't after I knock die? It. I don't want to, I don't want to knock. And I don't know your all's relationship at yeah. all, but I was married once. And I don't think that lady's going to wipe my ass at this point. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so never trust it. You know, there's this thing that they can do that, you know. That's the kid can't leave me. See, That's true. I mean, I guess she could disown me. She could, but just don't she suck. won't. You just got, yeah. I just got to keep loving them. Yeah, they won't. I know she won't. This one won't. Nice. I loved her long enough. Now she knows. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I do definitely need. I need a a uh, backup plan. 
I don't have one. I'm trying to make podcasts. Uh, That's a solid plan. Yeah, I got to get good at it first. Well, <laughs> um, uh, but we'll yeah. see what happens there. My plan is my plan is uh, irresponsibility. Mm. See, because the slow death is not the way. I can't do that. So I drink ten shots of espresso a day. I smoke two packs of Newports a day. I'm doing things right. I don't want to wake up in the hospital with you know like a little. Oh, you had a heart attack. No, my heart attack will be massive. My heart attack will be, it'll be so big that a little bit will come out huge. of my chest. Like, bah, bah. I think you just heart attack. Yeah, it's good. my rib cage is actually going to open up. Oh it's, man, uh, it's going to be solid. But that's my that's my retirement plan. Well, I hope that doesn't happen for a super long time because I like you so much. Well, I appreciate that, man. I enjoy yeah, I, I enjoyed this thoroughly. I appreciate that. Well, I guess let's tell people where they can find your stuff. Uh, right now, we really don't. I mean, you could probably find Thomas Medicine on iTunes, but it, okay, but, but it's. Uh, I'm not selling anything in particular right now. Um, nothing current. I'll be, I'll be, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram and you can find out where we're playing through those. Well, I'll definitely start sharing the stuff that you do, like cool, on the, the Facebook page that I curate. I just appreciate it. I like to, to bogart other people's projects and use them for Facebook posts. Right on. Well, I'm so. recording a, uh, I'm recording now all of those love songs that I've written. Uh, so there'll be some pretty love songs coming soon that i'll probably just put on itunes and Sweet. make them available heck yeah. yeah all right man all right brother well i appreciate you doing this so appreciate much. you love me. you man love you man bye and there it was ladies and gentlemen another podcast in the books i want to thank mr pat quinney for coming to my place and making me sound like a five-year-old child while regaling me with one of the best conversations I've had in quite some time. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to the show. I hope you're on your way over to Just Friends Pod to grab a t-shirt. I've got a buttload of the like the baseball tees, the three-quarter tees. They're super fun. I think they're the most popular. So hit me up. I got a bunch of them. If you know me, you can just text me. That's cool. Otherwise, check out JustFriendsPod.com. If you know somebody who loves Pat, make sure you share this episode with them. I'm sure there are millions of people out there that love Pat. So let's see how many of them we can get listened to the show. Otherwise, guys, let's cruise on into this week. Take care of yourselves. Be kind to each other. I love you all. Bye.